you just got the giggles, huh? I'm so tired, Bob. <laughs> Welcome to a special episode of Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Bob Crossan, Managing Editor of Water and Waste Digest. And I'm Lauren Estes, Managing Editor of Water Quality Products. And we're here on the final day of AWWA Ace, two and a half days essentially, of, uh, <laughs> of the show. Um, and they've been jam-packed for us, but we did find some time on the show floor to meet with a couple people and get some interviews for you from some thought leaders and innovators. Um, mm-hmm. Our first is actually from Ketos, if you wanted to talk a little bit more yeah. about her, uh, Lauren. Absolutely, so we met up with Mina Sankaran, the founder and CEO of Ketos, and she was actually in the innovation lounge, which is where some newer companies were um, talking about what, what they have to bring to the table, talking on the theme of this year's show, um, innovating water use. Um, Mina was really interesting to chat with, and really looking forward to sharing our interview with her um, with you about trends that she's seeing in smart water and one thing that she said that stood out to me was how the industry should not be so siloed because it's all water which mm-hmm. is what we talk about all day long right yeah well that's the whole point of, the, of this podcast is the one water mentality yeah. and she's talking about how that needs to that's something that she's recognizing as well um i think the one thing that stood out to me from her interview as well was talking about smart water quality um i feel like from a lot of my discussions this uh this week um a lot of them have been about the volumetric side of water smart Mm -hmm. water understanding the amount of flow and the amount of water that's going finding losses apparent theft uh all that non-revenue water essentially but she's talking about just how just how important it is to have that smart water quality as well. So anyway, here's our interview with Mina. Hi everybody, it's Lauren Estes, Managing Editor of Water Quality Products here. And Bob Crossan, Managing Editor of Water Waste Digest. We're here at AWWA ACE 2019, and we're here with Mina Senkran, founder and CEO of Kados. Mina, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm really glad you guys stopped by my booth. Uh, super excited that uh, we're here at ACE, the second year in a row, and uh, you know, representing uh, over here at the Innovation Lounge, and um, really glad to have this time with you guys. Yeah, thank you. Um, would you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure, absolutely. Um, I, I think everybody in this conference is oozing out of the passion for water, and I'm, I'm definitely no different in, in that regard. Um, I grew up in India, and uh, for me personally, uh, I think water is uh, some water personal story, passion, because I grew up with very minimal access to water, more like about an hour a day for the first 17 years of my life. And so water held a, a pretty special place. And uh, I think over the years, being an electrical engineer by education, uh, having spent a lot of time in you know, electronics communications engineering, RF design, and last 16 years of my career, everything in infrastructure, data center, space, I think the core concepts of IoT and analytics and blending data science for water and thinking about 
all the other analogous technologies of how you bring different aspects and different strengths into the industry of water was something that came very natural to me. And I think personally, when I hit an inflection point in 2015, that I just knew that personally for me, tech felt very saturated. And I believe that if we cannot make an impact in a space like water, what's all this technology worth? And that was kind of the beginning of Ketos. And um, spent a lot of time on market research, customer research, really understanding what's ticking, what's not ticking, what are the gaps, and, and realize that there's so much opportunity in this industry and so much need in terms of the uh, amount of change and mindset that needs to happen here. And the biggest learning for me in the last four years is it's not the technology, it's not just the technology, but it's truly the mindset and the policy and um, of how people need to embrace uh, the shift in what's happening. You know, you think about industrial revolution, you think about all these different waves of evolution that happen. We're at the cusp of all the automation that's going to happen in the water industry and it's, it's fantastic to be uh, part of that and ride that wave. It's exciting. And you can feel the atmosphere here on the show floor today reflecting that, everybody kind of thinking, where are we going, where are we heading, and where are we going to be in the next five, ten years, and how can we make that a reality? Yeah. You, I mean, you hear every panel you sat in, you, you're hearing everyone's talking about, at least they're beginning to use the word data analytics. They're trying to think of how can we automate processes that forever, it, it's a guy walking around doing everything manually, just so much more possibilities of human error, so much more static data that is just not enough. Yeah. You know, we've all heard, you can't act on what you don't measure. Right, and um, you know, we all walk around with. We've got Apple watches, we got Fitbits. We know everything that's happening in our body, and um, yet something as important as critical as water. How can we empower our water operators, our businesses, our utilities to really have the tools and mechanism in place so that they can be the entire sort of like an operational center and understand a full smart water grid, right? Um, to me, that's where Ketos comes in. And I don't look at water as a very, sort of a siloed problem. Like, water availability is a broader, you know, issue where I think about um, Ketos, for us solving it is a very holistic issue because you have water monitoring from a standpoint of, you know, leak detection, how much water you're wasting, but then you also have understanding what's in the water, so the water quality aspect of it. So it's kind of like the yin and yang of how much, you know, what is the quality of water, but also how much percentage of treated water is getting lost uh, in leaks. So if you want to look at water availability, you have to look at it both together. And so, you know, we've developed two solutions, both for addressing smart water management from a distribution standpoint, as well as water safety standpoint, uh, built proprietary and patented products for it that can do lab level accuracy of testing and precision. And then finally, give the customers an end-to-end -end solution. Don't just give them one handheld probe or just one you know, manual process. You really have to tie it all in and start giving them a solution versus a product. If we can deliver value from a solution standpoint, it's going to be harder to adopt.
Well, I think it's really interesting that you point out the whole the smart water side as it relates to water quality because yep. I feel like a lot of the a lot, a lot of the stuff that I hear when it comes to smart water is measuring through meters yes. and understanding how much you're using and correlating yes. that data with uh, with sewer information yep. and that kind of thing to understand where you may have a problem and it's not about like what's actually in the water it's about how much is moving um, and there's and, I, and I'm guessing that a lot of the reason for that is that, that that's d- so directly tied yeah. to revenue right Correct. and so like yes. when it comes to water quality you don't have the same revenue situation and you really like unfortunately it seems like a lot of people kind of don't think about it as much until they have a consent decree or something of that nature right okay. no I, you, you're absolutely right and what's amazing is when you walk around the show floor you realize 90% are um, kind of the smart metering and pumps and everything around the water management from a volumetric standpoint and and understanding physical parameters of water and more quantitative. But if you really look around and see how many people are talking about water quality and water safety, it's a very small percentage of, you know, 10%. And you're absolutely right in that part. And I think, one, it's very difficult technology uh, to build autonomous uh, water quality monitoring systems around uh, which are capable of delivering lab precision levels. Uh, there are a lot of companies trying to solve that problem. And uh, it's not a, what we're trying to solve as Ketos is not something rocket science in terms of its novelness, but people have been trying to solve this for 10 years. But the fact, the timing is perfect for what Ketos has been able to do. And the reason is not just because of the advancements in technology, but it's about the people we've employed. And I think the interdisciplinary aspect of having material scientists, physicists, chemists, and robotic engineers, electromechanical engineers, software architects, data scientists, all of these brilliant minds coming together to think at a problem and look at water is what is going to solve and be the future of how businesses and people can really be revolutionized in how they need to look at water. And that really all comes back to the theme of this year's convention, innovating water use. Yeah. And how are we looking towards the future with that? And, you know, you, you said water we use, and the first thing that comes to my mind is, uh, I'll, I'll skip the name, but we were at a water treatment <laughs> plant, and what we realized is before they put our device and they were testing, they didn't even realize that the water could be as clean as DI water, and that's getting delivered to golf courses, right? So yeah. unless you actually know and you, you identify after treatment, post-treatment, how your water is and, and the quality of your water. And, you know, even when you mention about um, the pricing and, you know, not dollar values getting attached to water quality, there's still so many use cases of your own process control and thinking of how much raw material are you using? Can you save some amount of money in your raw material by understanding your water composition? If you start separating water composition and knowing rather than water safety, you're going to address a very different market and businesses can be more proactive about wanting to solve it. Because when you think about water safety, you think immediately public health. But if you think about water composition, you can start looking at industrial factories and plant, um, even agriculture, because ag is a huge market for us. Crop yield, nitrates. I mean, nitrates is, we heard on a panel earlier today, the impact of blue baby syndrome, excess fertilizers getting into the water, algae blooms in the rivers, all the oxygen getting sucked out. I mean, the issues are just surmounting constantly. And so I think it's very important for all of us to realize that the water quality aspects is not just a altruistic, uh, regulatory, public safety, public health aspect. It's 
food safety and, and the potential for crop yield getting impacted, groundwater contamination, potential for how process control and own businesses can save money. I think if we shift that mindset, people might be more inclined to be willing and wanting to do more water quality monitoring and shift that also the concept of why change frequency? Because yeah. typically they're shifting, they're doing their frequency once a month, once a quarter, once a year, because they're paying for it in that regard. If you shift it and say you only pay once a month, regardless of how many tests you monitor, let's see how that changes human behavior. Yeah. Right? And I think that's that's the goal that we're trying to achieve at Quito's by doing more of as a platform as a service by saying, here's the data, here's your device. Don't worry about how many times you're going to test. We're going to give you unlimited sampling and unlimited licenses, but all we want you to do is play one flat fee and then worry about how you're going to use your data to the best of your capability. I think you're going to change human behavior only through driving that sort of a, a disruption, not just in sort of the technology, but also the costing model and the business model. I, you can tell I get really excited. <laughs> Well, I wanted to also mention, so kind of going back to your background and everything, um, I imagine water equity is a big thing that you're concerned with. Can you talk a little bit about water equity and how that, why, like, I guess how that meshes with Kedos' mission then, too? Um, you know, it's it's interesting. For me, the Kedos' mission is, well, we're a very mission-driven company, and as a company, the, the team is very purpose-driven in what we do, and... Uh, who we hire, and, um, and even in terms of how the culture we've built as a company. So we're always looking at projects that are creating impact versus projects that are um, sort of creating impact in a business sense. What I mean is you're creating an impact and there's a commercial viability, but there might be projects where you're creating an impact and it's not the commercial realization of uh, a lower income population or someone who cannot afford it. But you can be creative about finance vehicles through doing through an NGO or doing through a mechanism where you're able to still bring that impact and not necessarily just as a private operator. So um, I care a lot about that in terms of how we're able to balance it. And uh, we're also very mission driven in the sense that every quarter when we're reporting our own financial metrics and, you know, as a CFO, you'll realize that we even look at impact metrics every quarter. And I look at it as a double bottom line, not only look at your commercial viability, but look at impact metrics. And I think it's bringing, it's drawing the right kind of talent. It actually shows our customers who we are as a company and what we believe and how we build and what we care. Um, And even building what we have, we manufacture everything in the US. So far, we've built everything in-house, and as of uh, Q1 this year, everything has been, um, you know, manufactured in Wisconsin. Um, I'm a strong believer of really bringing the kind of the coasts and the country together in a way that it's not all Silicon Valley or all New York. Um, So, you know, while we have our team presence in San Jose, we are distributed as employees in eight different states. Our service operations are run in Minnesota. We are also setting up our East Coast operations in North Carolina. Um, and so it, it's truly uh, bringing everyone together in order to look at this as a 
a global problem. And it's not just a third world issue. It's yeah. happening oh, no, right yeah. here in the U.S. And That's why I brought up the water equity thing, because yeah. it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. something that needs to be addressed, period. But you'll be shocked that, um, you know, this is, this is a totally a topic for later, and we can chat <laughs> a lot more about it. But um, it was very hard to raise money in 2015 and 2016, very early years, um, because the instant reaction for people was, oh, it's such a noble thing to do. Because wow. because they always associate the traditional tech investors who always associate water with something like a nonprofit yeah. or a business model that's going to take decades to reap benefits from. It's not a quick return, one year, two year turnaround type of acquisition sale that a sales uh, that a startup could benefit from. And I think. Probably a lot of startups struggle with that, and um, I think I wish someday that there are ten times more the number of water startups trying to solve uh, problems with enough investors really enabling them and us building an ecosystem to um, truly follow more wins and help each other in that in part of that process in that journey. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And we hope you have a great day at the show tomorrow as well. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I, I hope that I get a chance to spend a little more time with everybody else. But uh, it's been a pleasure just meeting different customers, touch points. And uh, hopefully we come with a much bigger presence. And uh, um, also excited that this is the first year in a show where uh, one of our customers is actually presenting us in one of the sessions. So, that is exciting. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. the Southern Nevada Water Authority. They're, they're going to be talking about contest tomorrow. So uh, a pretty nice plug-in. Congratulations. Excellent. Nice. Thank you. Well, thank you again. Thanks again for having me. Thank you so much, Mina, for talking about this. We, we were really fascinated the entire time that you mm-hmm. that we were speaking with her. Um, like I said, I, I she's just she's very passionate about this industry. I think that that's going to take her a long way. Um, so, so definitely, like, keep her on your radar. I think you'll see her in the future for sure. I think so too. Yeah, I think so too. And then um, I also conducted an interview with Rick Bacon. He's the CEO of Aqua Metrology Systems, um, and he was talking about so how I mentioned that the smart water quality side of things. Um, he's talking about intelligent water systems as well, and his company does focus on that aspect. Focuses on these types of um, contaminant removal and that kind of thing. So all that water quality that you're talking about. Um, and he wanted to talk a little bit about what it takes to create the brain to handle those kinds of systems and what that's all about. So here's our interview with Rick Bacon. And we're here with Rick Bacon, the CEO of Aqua Metrology Systems. Um, Rick is here to talk to us a little bit about intelligent water systems and kind of why that's important and how that's evolving. So uh, Rick, do you want to tell us just a little bit about, like, give us a baseline on that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Sure, thanks Bob. So maybe explain a bit about what an intelligent water treatment system yeah. is in terms of how we see it. So you've got, and you see it here at the uh, conference, you know, lots and lots of different treatment systems for removing different contaminants, particularly trace metals and dealing with uh, disinfection byproducts, THMs. And they're all very good, uh, but the, um, they face a challenge is that they're essentially unintelligent. They're very clever muscles, uh, but they have no brain. So they don't know if there's a sudden change in the effluent which may overwhelm the treatment system uh, and therefore put them out of compliance, or 
something in that very sophisticated treatment system fails, they all have multiple points of failure, right? And when it fails, clearly they're going to be out of compliance. And that muscle doesn't know any of that going on. So essentially what we provide with our real-time online monitoring uh, of these contaminants is a brain that can control the quality of the influent, you know, what's coming into that treatment system, and enable the treatment system to adjust to that in advance, uh, but so it's not overwhelmed. Or if the uh, something in the, you know, the muscle gets cramped, you know, there's a point of failure, a dosing pump, it can be a myriad of different things. Um, if the breakthrough of a filter for arsenic or whatever, uh, the system, our technology will alert the operator to that. It can shut the system down so that the fish aren't dead before everyone knows mm -hmm. about it. And remedial action can be taken. So that's what an intelligent water treatment system is. Uh, it's bringing to intelligence to the treatment yeah. so that everyone's in control. Yeah. So how can that intersect too? So think about that from a one water aspect. How do you intersect the smart water stuff, the smart wastewater stuff, and smart storm water? Then? How can those kind of work, work hand in hand? So I, I guess we've, um, we've probably not thought that through um, oh, well, really? enough. <laughs> well enough. Uh, I think that what we see is that uh, the consequences of a lack of intelligence, and so we're probably in a very narrow piece of this, is that there's a tendency to overtreat okay. and overbuild. Uh, so when I look at, when I think about one water, I'm thinking about efficiency. You know, yeah. uh, there's a, you know, you know, the minimum use of inputs, whether that's energy, chemicals, minimum waste product streams. Mm -hmm. So if you're over-treating, you're going to be using too much of something and producing too much waste. Yeah. Uh, and maybe overbuilding because you're building just in case, yeah. as opposed to just what's needed. Mm -hmm. uh, if you use the data uh, that we can provide before anything is even designed, um, that can be really helpful in terms of getting the right scale. Because yeah. many times, engineers will be provided with an occasional set of laboratory results. Because these systems vary from day to day, hour to hour, a few spotty lab results are never going to give you a good picture of what's going on. So then design an efficient system against that. I guess that's the way I would see it fitting in. Okay. Probably wrong, but that's the way I see it. <laughs> well, and then uh, I guess my other question too, that this obviously translates down the line to the end user then too. What kind of, uh, how, what kind of an effect does that have then on the end user when, the, when these systems are so, so intelligent? So the, the really cool thing is, I mean, two, two uh, really important outcomes of this. Um, the first is that because we're capturing real-time data of the effluent, we can actually make that available, and we do make it available to consumers. Mm -hmm. So you can go onto our website and we're streaming real-time water quality data mm -hmm. of a treatment system in Northern California and in, um, in uh, San Francisco. So the, and the consumer can sign up um, for uh, an alert so that if the water quality in their area has gone beyond certain parameters, they get a warning, amber light if you like, mm -hmm. and if it goes be outside the um, regulatory limit, they'll get a red alert, which tells them the water in their area is non-compliant. And that's really valuable because most consumers find out about their water quality in their water quality report three months after the event, and it's the whole city. Mm -hmm. rather than their particular zone. So that's, I think, really important. Yeah, so it's about the timeliness of relaying that. Basically. Absolutely, yeah, and you're getting it before you consume it. Yeah. yeah. When you bought a yogurt this morning, you could look at what was in it before you ate it and make a conscious decision. I don't want sugar, I don't want fat, yeah. I don't want gluten, I don't want vanilla, whatever. You can't do that with water. Mm -hmm. you know, with, and it's not only what you drink, it's what you bathe in as well. Yeah. The other thing that's really, I think, interesting is that this industry is capital constrained. Wherever you go, no one's got enough money for stuff. And if you've got an intelligent treatment system, the vendors 
you know, the evokers, the Suezes, the uh, ad agents of this world can now go to their clients and say, well, we're not just selling you a treatment system, go at it. Mm -hmm. We're selling you water quality because we can now guarantee you, Mr. Uh, Municipality, uh, that our arsenic removal system, our chrome removal system, is going to guarantee you water quality of 2 ppb or 5 ppb or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, and then uh, they can essentially offer a design, build, operate. Yeah. So design, build, operate is a very good way of bringing private capital into this, uh, into this market. Mm -hmm. We've developed a chrome treatment system and our intention is that we will sell it as a, on a design, build, operate basis. Yeah. Uh, because we can back that to pension funds uh, and it's a completely different way of pricing, it's more variable, it's more within the budgets of cities without having to go through capital expenditure programs, raise funds, mm -hmm. raise water prices. You know, there's much more transparency. Yeah, so then it's just a lot more flexibility on the, on the municipality's part then. <laughs> Absolutely, and they're paying for what they get. So, you know, one thing we've evaluated for Hexavane and Chrome is we'll get paid for the amount of chrome we remove. Okay. Because you know, and there's an incentive therefore to remove as much as possible, mm -hmm. as opposed to as little as possible to yeah. be compliant. And uh, you know, if they're using a lot of water this month, they'll pay a bit more. And if they're using less water next month, they'll pay less. Mm -hmm. But it'll be a variable cost according to consumption. Yeah, that's really like, interesting. Yeah, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's that's why we have these interviews. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Thank you so much for taking your time. Uh, I guess before you leave, uh, what, what's caught your eye on the show floor so far? I, I think so. I think, uh, and this is very sort of maybe self-serving, but I think it, it's people are waking up. We've been on this sort of missionary thing about the value of real-time water quality data, mm -hmm. and what's been interesting is the treatment system guys are now realising that and girls uh, that there's value to be had to incorporating data, mm -hmm. and a lot of the utilities are saying, "Oh my goodness, if we had this data, we could control the vendors. We could, you know, we'd be much more in control of water quality." So for me, the light has gone on here, yeah. uh, which is really important for what we do. So. Yeah. So that's, that's, you're turning a corner almost. Turning a corner, yeah. <laughs> then I, I can stop praying. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate okay. your time. Okay. Well, thanks again, Rick, for speaking with me. Uh, I had totally forgotten that you had talked about the design, build, operate things um, and uh, how that trend in the industry. I think that's really, really fascinating. And like I had said in the interview, I didn't even know that that was happening. So um, it's really, really cool to hear from you on that, that topic. So, um, but that'll wrap for our interviews from AWWA ACE. As always, if you uh, want to get in touch with us, Contact us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com. Reach us on Facebook, LinkedIn. Like and subscribe on uh, iTunes. Google Play. And Google Play, yep. Spotify as well. Definitely leave a review if you have some, some time to do that. We'd appreciate that. Mm -hmm. That'll bump us up in the ratings and everything. And, um, and if anybody's interested in hearing more about our experiences at AWWA ACE this year, um, Bob and I did conduct some... Uh, day and wrap-up videos of the show getting in a little more depth about what we were up to on the floor trends we were seeing sessions that really stood out to us and thought leaders we had some great conversations with so be sure to check those out over on our websites absolutely and uh, we'll be doing a special episode for Weftech as well. Um, we will be exhibiting there as well so please stop by our booth which right now our number is 720 all right well, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your time, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Bye.